continue worship this morning with Freely Freely.
If you'll stand, we're going to sing on Calvary together. Children's Church in the back with Miss Shannon. Okay, as the children leave, um, the rest of us turn to Galatians chapter 5. We are transitioning into a New section in the book of Galatians on freedom. So with all the transitions going on outside of us, and I'm talking in our family, in our culture, and whatever you've got going on, nothing ever stays the same. But we are shifting now to the theme of Christian freedom. In Galatians chapter 5, we'll try to understand what it is and how to apply it to our lives. Happy Memorial Day weekend, by the way. Uh, as believers, we stand in different types of freedom. To my left, obviously, is the flag of the United States of America. We are grateful for those who sacrifice so that we might be free politically, religiously, to worship and to gather, and that came at a great sacrifice. And then I guess to my right is the Christian flag. And so we are free in Christ, and that is where we're going to be in our text this morning. But ultimately, we are working toward the living memorial that is communion and the Lord's Supper. So we're going to preach the word from the Bible, and then we're going to proclaim the word that is preached through 
the ordinance of communion. It is a message and a sermon in itself. So let's pick up here Galatians chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. Uh, Kyle, thank you for John chapter 8. Kyle, in a nutshell, preached the message. I hope you were listening. Well, he said, it is only being bound to Christ that we are truly free. Galatians 5.1 says, It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore. Now the therefore there means we're about to hear how we should apply our freedom. People have graduated recently. They've got their diploma. No more homework. No more books. No more teachers' dirty looks. I'm free, right? We know the feeling. But now, how do you apply, or what happens next, with the freedom and the gift that you have been granted? That kind of gives us the flow. Paul gives us a truth. This is what Christ has done for you. Therefore, this is how you live it out. So we in America love to say, I live in a free country. We've got the Statue of Liberty. As someone has said, you and I need a Statue of Responsibility. <laughs> a Statue of Responsibility. Uh, maybe on the West Coast, that would be a good place to put it. But in all seriousness, we celebrate and we recognize our freedom. But now... How do we live in that? And what are the responsibilities related to this great gift? So, again, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Behold, I, Paul, he is exercising with that phrase his apostolic authority. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision... Because there are some of you that are on the brink of allowing these Judaizers, these legalistic religious people to force you or pressure you or bully you into a ceremony that's external and does not save, does not change the heart. If you submit to that, Christ will be of no benefit to you. That's verse 2. Christ will not benefit you at all. I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that, that, that you're under obligation to keep the whole law. Because to be circumcised was, was a sign that you were going to be under the whole law. We don't need to go back there again. But the, but the gist of that is that none of us have ever been able to keep the whole law. That's, that's a burden that no one can, can bear. You have been severed from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by law. You've fallen from grace. You're no longer living in the realm of grace, depending on it, enjoying it, sharing it. You've, you've, you've gone in a totally different direction. You've fallen away from that. For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working 
through love. What matters most is to have a faith in Christ that works itself out in love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion did not come from him who calls you. And he gives this little parable, this little teaching, a little leaven will leaven the whole lump of dough. You let a little in, it will begin to infect the whole thing. A little false teaching is dangerous. But he says in verse 10, there's a shift here to confidence. But I have confidence in you in the Lord that you will adopt no other view but the one who is disturbing you. He shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. But brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? Then the stumbling block of the cross. The stumbling block of the cross. This message takes us in the end to the cross. And the service is going to take us in the end to, yet again, the cross. And it's intentional that he's taking us and the Galatians to the cross. He says, if I were to just preach circumcision, I wouldn't be persecuted. But if I stop preaching the cross, then, then there is no salvation. The stumbling of the block of the cross has been abolished. Would that those who are troubling you would even mutilate themselves. Would that those who are troubling you, these false teachers, would that they, be, that they mutilate themselves if this is the direction in which they desire to lead you. We'll talk a little more about that as we go. Father, thank you for... Just time to gather and sing and worship and praise you and be fed by your word. Help us, Lord, to be bound today in our minds and our hearts and our consciences by your word because your word alone will set us free. The gospel alone will set us free. May we rest in that, celebrate that, share that, enjoy that, and, and stand firm in it. Be obedient to it as you would call us to, Father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, let's talk this morning about the gift of freedom that we have in Christ. I want to point out that in verse 1, Jesus is obviously the emphasis of verse 1, and Christ has set us free, meaning I cannot set myself free. I cannot on my own, left to myself, break out of the bondage. I need the gospel. I need the good news that God in Christ has come down. And what He has done for us is the, is the setting free that you and I have needed. Under the curse of the fall, the power and emphasis of the world, the flesh and the devil... Guilty, vile, and helpless we, but spotless lamb of God was he. Full atonement can it be. Hallelujah, what a savior. Christ has set us free. What a beautiful, wonderful gift. 
And in chapters 1 through 4, he's gone through the gospel. He has opened up this gift that sets us free that is Christ himself. His perfect life of righteousness, his atoning death, his resurrection on the third day, his intercession on our behalf, and the fact that he lives in us now and we are being formed to be more like Christ. Christ is in us. And we're in Him. That's the union that we have with Jesus. Bound to Jesus, we're truly free. So let me walk through some of this. And, and, and let's think again. This is important for our hearts and our minds and our souls to recognize the dimensions of our freedom, past, present, and future. Heard a conversation one time where it was declared that a gentleman at a particular service got saved. And then another gentleman standing in the conversation said, Saved from what? And it was a genuine question. And it's a thoughtful question. If his name is Jesus and he was born to save us from our sins, and if he set us free, what does he set us free from or for? So the different parts of salvation are helpful. Here it goes. And you need to solidify this in your heart and mind. I have been set free from sin's penalty. I have been set free from sin's penalty, which is the wrath and judgment of God on my sin. There's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. I've been set free forever from the guilt and the punishment that I deserve because of my sinfulness. I have been set free. I also am being set free from sin's power. Man, the, the, the flesh, the world, sin itself is a dominating bully force. But greater is he who is in us than he that is in the world. And so not only have we been set free, we are currently being set free from sin's influence and power as we walk with Christ and trust in Him and obey Him. And then ultimately, I will be set free from sin's presence forever. We will live in a perfect place of freedom. There will never be any more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain, no more heartache. We will finally be ultimately perfectly set free, glorified as Jesus is in our bodies, in our world, in every aspect, everything about it. I've simply outlined justification, sanctification, and glorification. I have been set free, I am being set free, and I will be set free. Those are the dimensions of our union with Christ. I think my two dogs are beginning to learn about freedom. Because I've noticed they are happiest and go completely bonkers, even fighting one another. If I go for the leashes and the halters that enable us to take a walk together down the sidewalks. They spend almost all their time either in the house or in a pen around our yard. Now, when we first moved to this house in Franklin, 
a guy working at the house left the gate open and the dogs escaped. They were finally on their own. It was absolutely horrible. For everybody involved, for the whole city of Franklin, for friends that were calling me on the phone. But the other day, the gate was accidentally left open for a couple hours. And they didn't escape. And I know I'm extremely naive, but I'm hoping they've learned their lesson. (laughs) That ultimately, true freedom and happiness and joy is only being found bound to their master who knows the proper boundaries, who loves and cares for them, who knows how to safely take them out and bring them back in. I'll update you later on whether or not this is true with my particular dogs, Ringo and Caper. But let us make no mistake about it. The only path of freedom and the only place of freedom is for you and I to be tethered to Christ bound to Christ, mastered by Christ, submissive and obedient to His Word. It is in His Word and it is in our lives experientially. In other words, we know it not only by faith, but we're learning it by experience. I don't do well off on my own. It just leads me further into bondage to the flesh and the world and the devil. But I digress. I need to get to the points I wanted to make this morning about what it means to live in freedom. And so I've got four action words for us. And here are the action words, and they come straight from the text. So now that Christ has set us free, how are we supposed to live with that? What does this gift of freedom do for us? How do we respond? What are we to do? The Bible is full of instructions and commands. And His commands are not burdensome. They are intended to set us free so that we can flourish and live and grow. His commands are not burdensome. So the first thing He tells us is that you and I have been, now that we've been given peace with God through the cross and the blood of Christ, we have already been declared free. We now have peace with God. Therefore, we are now free to stand. So that's my first word, standing. You and I are standing in freedom. And so what he says in verse 1 is, keep standing firm. Keep standing firm. Now the imagery here in the Greek is of an, let's imagine an ox. And let's imagine that this ox is weighed down with crushing heavy burdens, a load. And the load is so heavy that the ox is now down on the ground. But imagine that burden and that load being taken off. And now the ox can stand up strong and and be and work and exist in freedom. Paul is saying the legalists who have tried to add to the gospel... Rituals and observances like special days or special sacrifices or external rituals like circumcision, they're they're loading you down. They're weighing you down. That is a burden too heavy for any of you to bear. But then in the rest of this chapter, he's also going to warn us against those who tempt us to licentiousness. Licentiousness. The idea that, hey, my life's my own. 
This is a free country. I can do whatever I want. Good luck with that. Because that reminds me of the guy who was shoved out of like the 12th floor of a particular building. And about halfway down, as he fell speeding faster to the ground, somebody yells, how are things going? And he says, so far, so good. You know? That kind of thing. Delusional. So two things that you and I have to stand firm against and keep standing firm and that is against those who would add to the gospel legalism and those who would take away from the gospel, go below the line into licentiousness. Now, I can't work all this out clearly and develop it even more thoroughly, but, but, but stay firm, stand strong, keep standing firm, keep standing strong with the solid rock of the gospel and own the solid rock of the gospel. On Christ the solid rock I stand. What? All other ground is sinking sand. Here I stand. In my studies this week I looked up verse after verse that said things like this. Keep standing strong. After you've done everything, stand. It's a message throughout the New Testament. So whether they are Legalistic bullies, critical gossips, hecklers, doubters, naysayers. Keep standing firm with a free conscience based on the finished work of Jesus Christ through which you are accepted into the beloved forever by God the Father. We'll run across people sometimes who might say something like this to us. Hey, God loves you, and I've got a wonderful plan for your life. <laughs> Stand firm. I must move on. The second verb is, is waiting. Not only are we standing, but we are waiting. We're waiting. As wave after wave comes against us, we're standing firm and we keep standing firm upon the gospel and the freedom that the gospel has purchased for us. The other thing we're doing is we're waiting. And here's the phrase that goes with this. We have been given hope from God, therefore now we are free to wait. He says we, through the Spirit, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. We're not working for it, we're waiting for it. And there's a big difference. It's a gift that's coming, that's promised, that's purchased. So through the Spirit, I have the patience to wait on the best that is yet to come. God in Christ has given us a living hope. The resurrection itself is our living hope. The promise of His return is our living hope. We are waiting for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. For us as believers, the, the, the best is always yet to be. And the strength to wait comes on knowing that God is good and He's always up to good. There's so much in our lives that just seems to vanish away we were blowing up balloons for a graduation party yesterday barred Terry Harper's helium tank I might have just messed up <laughs> 
Terry says no. But blowing up these helium balloons and, 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 and tracing our blowing and tying and blowing and tying and blowing and tying. Well, I didn't tie mine tight enough around the little fence where we were sitting. And mine escaped. And just as she was about to get onto me for my balloon uh, being released, her balloon comes untied. And the two balloons go flying up into the air. And you've seen it disappearing into the ultimate beyond, never to return. And I thought immediately to a time at Cumberland Mall when I was a child with my grandmother at Christmas. And she bought me a helium balloon. And on the way out to the parking lot, I let go. And that thing was absolutely gone beyond sight in a second. And some of us live with regret that the best things that have ever happened to me have just gone and they've vanished never to return. But listen, listen to what this says. The freedom that Jesus has given us is a freedom to wait. And everything doesn't have to be fixed now. Everything that's gone doesn't have to be searched for and dug and brought back. But here we are knowing that in Christ... Our, our good things are never lost. Uh, the bad things he turns for good. And the best things are yet to come. So the Spirit empowers us to wait in a world that, that, that just can't stand to not have it now. Now. I've got to move on. Keep standing firm. We're waiting for the hope of righteousness. He also says this is, this is a tremendous verse, and more is going to come from this later. But look at what he says about working in verse 6. Hey, it, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, that doesn't count. It doesn't mean anything. But here's what means most. Faith working through love. Faith works Faith works. Now, we are not saved by faith plus works, but we are saved by a faith that works. We are His workmanship. We are created for good works. And if you have faith in Jesus and the work He's done for you, that will create within you a love and a passion and a desire to do for others what mirrors what God has done for you. The finished work of Jesus has set me free. But that came to me by virtue of love, sacrificial love, amazing love. So if I've trusted in that as a foundation of my freedom, then the Spirit will work that out and create in me a new heart that seeks to glorify God by doing good deeds so that others could see the good deeds and glorify our Father who is in heaven. Freedom puts us to work. Let your light so shine before men, Jesus said. Be careful to engage in good works. Again, we are saved by faith alone, but not by a faith that is alone. It is a faith that comes from God, and God himself, through that gift, puts us to work. So, so what is your work? What are your works? What are you doing to express your faith and devotion to Christ? It might come as a surprise that some of our greatest work might be 
invisible to most people. I made a call this morning to Billy Vaughn to check on him on my way from on my, on my way to church, and 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 Billy again was such a a blessing. He's he's he says Neil, I'm not doing well. He's always got his humor. He says I'm I'm as weak as dishwater. I'm thinking dishwater is pretty weak, isn't it? And as he explained to me and went into the different health issues that he had, he reminded me of something that he's reminded me of before. He says. I pray for you and the church every day. He said, I go through our prayer list every night, praying for all those people. That's convicting to me. Because I'll be the first to admit that I don't go through our prayer list every night. The other day we were updating our prayer list and the very first name on that prayer list is a man named Ronald Abner. And I hadn't thought of Ronald and I don't know when. I was so convicted. I went through the first name on our list, Ronald Abner. I told Elaine this. I called Ronald. I said, Ronald, how are you doing? He has no idea that the call to him came from conviction that out of sight, out of mind. And here I am, what are we doing? What are we working for? Is our faith expressing itself in love? So the question that we need to ask ourselves when we talk about the people and think about the people that God puts on our hearts and minds and that God allows us to interact with on a regular basis is this. God, this is the prayer. What good would you have for me to do for this person today? And then go do it. Insight is not obedience. Understanding is not obedience. Although we are commanded to understand and have insight, full obedience would actually be putting into practice what He has taught us to do. We have been given love from God, therefore now we are like, we are free to work. But we're not working for our salvation, we're working from our salvation, which is a totally different kind of ball game. Because now it's not my sweat and my effort that's saving me, but I'm doing these things out of gratitude and release for what He has set me free to do. Then the last phrase is running, okay? So let's walk back through this. What are we doing? I save running for last because the text does that. But what are we doing? We're standing, all right? We're waiting, and then we're working, and then we're running. See, you could, you could preach this message from the text. Look at what it says in verse, let's find it. You found it? Verse 7. You were running well. Throughout the New Testament, the Christian life is likened to a race in which we run. It is, it is energy, it is striving this is a, 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 a picture of the spiritual direction and the spiritual uh, enthusiasm and, and the spiritual focus that we have. You were running well, but someone hindered you from obeying the truth. So running well means to live in obedience to the truth. It means to press on toward the goal. It means to pick up your feet and put them down. It means to pick, pick up one and put it in front of the other from today and every day for the rest of your life. This is a marathon. It is a long obedience in the same direction. And we are to run well. But there are times when people trip us up. 
And they put sticks in our spokes of our bicycles. And try to hinder our race. Through false teaching, discouragement, again, license or legalism. But we're still running. We're still running. I'm uh, inspired by a pastor in Heard County named Grady Woodruff. And I see Grady walking on the trail a lot. And sometimes I'll ask Mr. Grady, Pastor Grady, how he's doing. He says, I'm still going. And he literally is still going physically and spiritually. He says, I'm not stepping as high as I used to step. I'm not moving as fast as I used to go. He says, but I'm still going. I'm still going. We're on a journey. We're on a race. We're headed toward the heavenly city we mentioned last week. But let's close the message out before we get to the other message. And let's just remind ourselves that Paul's ending on the cross is where we need to begin It's how we continue and it's what we put in our sights because the only way to be empowered, okay, to keep standing and to keep waiting and to keep working and to keep running, the only means for the power and the strength to do that, the endurance to do that, is to keep our eyes on Jesus and the cross. And to see in the cross how how He waited. And to see on the cross how he, how he stood and he worked and he ran his race well. In complete submission and obedience to the Father. And so we might ask in verse 12, why in the world does Paul use such graphic language? That's some of the most graphic language in the Bible. I almost hesitate to tell you. He is telling them to go castrate themselves. What? That's really what it means. Earlier in the book, he had told them that they are under a curse of hell. Why? Because they were preaching another gospel. Why would Paul the apostle, with purity of heart and purity of mind, say such a brutal, harsh thing? It's because the cross itself is very graphic. The cross itself is very brutal. On the cross itself, Jesus was cursed by God. All for our freedom. And Paul, through the resurrection, sees the gospel as the only means of liberty, as the only means of escape. And so anybody who twists or turns or tampers or adds to or takes away from the cross, he says, needs to be an anathema. Let them be cursed. Let them, in verse 12, mutilate themselves. Why? Because that causes trouble to the runners. It causes trouble to the workers. It causes trouble to the waiters. And it causes trouble to those who are standing. Only by resting fully in Jesus and His salvation, free, sufficient, and finished, can we then be empowered to live freely in a healthy and appropriate way. I will read for you Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 1 and 2. Here's the application. Therefore... Since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance, every burden, and the sin which so easily entangles us. Let us run with endurance. 
the race is set before us. How? Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. So that you may not grow weary and lose heart. Are you standing? Are you standing? Are you waiting? Are you waiting? Are you working? Are you working? Are you running? Are you running? Are you running your race well and obediently? What a great gift we have in our freedom. So here on Memorial Day weekend, we know that the freedom recognized and symbolized by the flag to my left came at a great cost, a great sacrifice. And we memorialize that because this... It's good and healthy to remember the, the price that was paid. To my right is the flag of, of Christian freedom. But he, here's the memorial right here. Here's how we were set free. Through the broken body and the shed blood of Christ. And the cross not only is the foundation of our freedom, but it guides our freedom. It forms our freedom. It, it shows us what freedom is ultimately for. Freedom is ultimately to do the will of God with joy, with service, and with love. If you're like me, you have to be reminded of this regularly and often, which is why Jesus said, you need to remind yourself regularly and often through a living memorial for every generation of the church what you were set free from how you were set free and what the purpose of that freedom was so look to the cross and let that teach you and change you in how we exercise our our freedoms father thank you for our time this morning in your word as paul tells us so clearly to keep to keep standing and waiting and working and running. But we know that it's only by resting first in Jesus and His righteousness and His sufficiency and His death that frees us to be able to do these with the right motive and the right heart and the right balance of truth and grace. Thank you for what you've done for us. May we not only not forget it, but may, may we apply it in the proper ways. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, I'm going to invite our deacons to come forward at this time. Um, as I said earlier, we're going to close our service by remembering Jesus the way he commanded us to. Something we are to do regularly. It is something we are to do pen penitently, meaning repenting of our sins, whether they be our sinful nature or besetting sins. We do so unified in humility, recognizing the ground around the cross is, is level. We all take together because we all by faith enjoy the benefits together. We are all part of both the problem and we enjoy the solution that is, that is Christ and His grace. So um, 
I'm going to ask Bill Grissett, if he would, to pray for us, and then we will serve the, the bread and the cup. Bill, would you do that, please?
Paul writes, I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. When he gave thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in humility, they did eat. Amen. Thanks be to God for the body of Christ broken for us.
In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And they did drink. Paul says, as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim, it's a proclamation of the Lord's death, until he comes. So there is expectancy, not only do we look back, but we're looking forward as well to the return of Christ when we will celebrate together the marriage supper of the Lamb. So we take not only in humility, but with joy, with joy. So let's stand and sing a hymn. When we survey the wondrous cross, how does that help us understand freedom? Let's think about those things as Catherine leads us in our hymn of invitation. You come as we sing.
Thank you, Catherine. Hey, a couple of housekeeping items before we close. Um, I'd like to recognize Bryson. Bryson, come on up. Six-year anniversary this past weekend. So not only has his, his ministry here has exceeded the normal expectancy for uh, youth pastors, but he's gone by pastors too. So six years is a mighty great long time for your faith. That's just an anniversary present from us. All right. The other thing I want you to be aware of is that Bill Grissett is now a certified biblical counselor. So at our deacons meetings and uh, conferences, our church has formally recognized Bill as a resident counselor. He's got an office here. He's going to have a website. So Bill has transitioned out of uh, Baptist campus ministry into, into counseling. So, you know, I encourage you, if you're in need, obviously myself, Bryson, other people here are wonderful counselors and wise people. But, uh, you know, pray about giving Bill a call if you have a counseling need in your life. Or talk to me. I'll point you, you know, his way if it feels so led. So let's pray for Bill and just encourage him in that particular area. I, we had not announced that to, you know, the large group um, as of yet. So, Bill, we appreciate your willingness to do that. So we're going to close our service, but here's how we're going to close it. If you are visiting with us, okay, when I walk down the edge, you're free to go with me. If you're a member who would like to stay for conference to handle one small item related to high-speed internet service, all right? And I know that's important to everybody. Um, I encourage you to stay. So Tom will recognize, Ty, why don't you come on up? Everybody be seated except for the people who, as I said, are visiting and would like not to be part of a high-speed internet discussion at church conference. But don't everybody leave. 